This is a sermon from Cornerstone Church in Kingston. We're delighted to make these resources available for you and hope that you enjoy the ministry of God's Word today. There are lots of other resources on our website which we are pleased to make available and you can browse our website and download sermons and podcasts, read blogs and articles. And if you've been listening for a while and you would like to get to know the church or for us to get to know you a bit, there is an e-contact card, a welcome card that you can fill in on our website and we'd love to hear from you. John 20 starting from verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it on, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thanks, Susan. And uh, good evening from me. Uh, My name is Rory Kinnaird. I'm one of the uh, elders of the church, uh, one of the members of staff here as well, and actually uh, I'm the elder over the youth. So I have been away this weekend, hence why a slightly gruff voice and slightly bleary-eyed, so I apologise if I doze off during this sermon. Please don't do the same. Uh, we're coming now to our penultimate sermon in John. Uh, sad to say, um, but we need God's help to understand this. So let's pray, and then we'll get stuck in. Father, we, we thank you so much for your words. We thank you um, that you have uh, given it to us so that we may know you. Uh, and we thank you that in your In your word, you reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Father, that you will give us eyes that see Christ and how glorious he is. Help us not to be distracted, but help us to lift our eyes and our hearts to the Lord Jesus so that we may see great truths about him. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Now, I imagine uh, many of us, and probably all of us, are familiar with certain phrases like seeing is believing, right? Or, listen, 
to, if I'm going to believe this, I need to see it. Or you need to see it to believe it. You, you need to, to be there. To, you, you, if, if you want to believe this, you need to, to, you need to see it. In other words, we need evidence and we need to see the actual thing for us to believe that something happened. Now, I'm a history, a history teacher part-time, as many of you know, and I often get the question from my students, look, how do we know that this happened? I wasn't there. I, I, and it's, it's actually quite frustrating because they're annoyingly, just annoying, annoyingly annoying. Yeah? They're thick as well and they don't know it. How do we know? Well, because someone saw it for us to believe it. So seeing is believing. To believe, I must see. Now, we left this story last week, and we, we looked last week at the cry of Jesus in, in John chapter 19 and verse 30. It is finished. In other words, it is finished that I have paid the price for sin and that people can know forgiveness and redemption and be right with God again. And we saw the proof of that. We saw the proof of that throughout John 19 and 20. The proof that Jesus really did die. He didn't just faint, he died. That he was buried. That the tomb didn't stay full. It was bodiless. The body rose and then Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene in the garden. And we leave that scene with Mary Magdalene going to the disciples and saying, I have seen the Lord, verse 18. But it seems, as we come to this story, that that isn't enough for the disciples. They need more than just her witness. And actually, we too need more than just her witness if we're going to believe. We need more than just her witness for the spread of the gospel. And actually, for us to believe we need to see. We need seeing for us to believe. Okay? And that's what I think this story is going to show us here in John. So here's my first point. Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing in verse 19 to 23. And as we look at seeing is believing, we'll see that fear turns to joy. We pick up the story in verse 19, and you'll see that uh, we come that very evening of the Resurrection Sunday. So Jesus has rose from the dead. He's appeared to Mary Magdalene. And that very evening, we come to a scene with the disciples all together. Now, this is not a a joyful get-together right now. You might have noticed that. This is not the disciples coming together to discuss a strategy meeting about what to do next. This is a, a very strange scene. They're shut in a room. Did you see that? The doors are locked. Why are the doors locked? Well, the doors are locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. See, they're in hiding now. See, it was okay when Jesus was alive. They they could have conquered the whole world when Jesus was alive, in their opinion. The Jewish leaders didn't scare them when they had Jesus with them, but now they think that Jesus has gone. They're scared. They've they've killed Jesus. Now what's next for us? They've killed Jesus. Will they come and get us? And you can almost hear, can't you? Those scared, hushed tones. What do we do next? We we need an escape plan. We need to get out of here. Uh, We need a disguise. There's fear. They're worried of the repercussions. 
And then suddenly, Jesus is there. It's a, I mean, I, I think we could easily just read this and, and get lost. Jesus is there, suddenly. What? Now, don't, don't forget where the disciples are. They're in a room, but not just in a room. They're in a room with locked doors. And then Jesus is there. And so you think, oh, well, they were scared before. They had fear before. They're probably terrified at this moment. They were worried. Oh, there's a, what? They probably think Jesus is a ghost at this point. They're thinking, what the dickens is going on here? You're meant to be dead. And Jesus, you'll see, pronounces the first of three, the first time of three, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Why can he say that? Well, look at verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I'm not a ghost. I'm not just a a figment of your imagination. You're not just seeing things because you've gone crazy with grief. I'm actually a resurrected body. Look, the hands or the wrists anyway, bear the wounds of the nails that were driven through. Look at my side, pierced a hole in my side where blood and water flowed out. A resurrected body, a, a slightly different body, right? Because it can go through locked doors, apparently. And, in chap- and before in chapter 20, it could go through grave clothes. So it's a slightly different body, but it is a resurrected physical body. And he stands there among his disciples. Peace be with you. Don't worry. Don't let your hearts be troubled. It's not a ghost. I am real. I am resurrected. I'm a body. But not just that. Because peace be with you. Because what is it that those wounds have achieved? What have they achieved, those wounds? Well, those wounds have brought peace to Jesus' disciples. It's those very wounds. As Jesus has hung upon a cross and had the judgment of God poured upon him that has meant that men and God can have peace with God. They can be at peace with one another. They can be reconciled with one another as the soul lot we're learning this weekend. We sing a Christmas song about it. Isn't it in Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Men and God reconciled. The wounds have given us peace with God. They have given peace with ourselves, shalom. And they have given us peace with each other. And look what that peace does. You see what that peace does? How did this scene start? It started with fear. See that? There was fear. There was anxiety. There was worry. And look what happens now in verse 20. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They were overjoyed. No longer any fear. No longer any fear for these disciples. We don't have to fear men. We don't have to fear what other people think of us. We don't have to fear loss of relationship. We don't have to fear loss of loved ones. We don't have to fear anything in this world. No, we can be overjoyed. 
We can be overjoyed because no longer do we live for the approval of men, but we are at peace with God and we have approval in his eyes. There is joy in that. There is joy in knowing a savior who has risen from the dead and has conquered the grave and death. So we can have joy. But there's more than that. It's not just joy here. Because Jesus gives the disciples a forgiveness mission. Look, he says it again in verse 21. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. We should probably start saying that more, shouldn't we? Peace be, peace be with you. Thank you. Peace be with you. Verse 21 to 23. <laughs> As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, just a, just, just a, a couple of things before we explore what that means. Now, Jesus, when he's breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit, that is not the time that they're getting the Holy Spirit. We know that in Acts 2, that is when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and they start to prophesy and proclaim the truths of Jesus. Now, this is a promise of the coming Holy Spirit. It's a bit like when Jesus says, my hour is upon me, the hour where he's going to be crucified. Well, this hour isn't right then. It's, it's, it's this time in which I'm going to the cross. That's the hour. Do you see? So it's, 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 it's saying the Holy Spirit's going to come. I'm going to go to the Father and the Spirit will come to you. And then look at the message in verse 23. Now this is a message of forgiveness, but it is not the disciples that are forgiving people. It's not the disciples that have the power to say, look, you're forgiven of your sins. You're forgiven of your sins. You don't like you. You're not forgiven of your sins. That would be a bizarre interpretation of this. No, it's linked to the Spirit. What does the Spirit allow the disciples to do? Well, if you remember in John 14 to 16, the Spirit is the one who empowers the disciples to go and tell people the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have here the triune God. Did you notice that? We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus sent the disciples. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus sends the, the Holy Spirit to the disciples, they preach a message of forgiveness. That's what's going on here. The disciples are going to go out and, and with the joy in their heart, with the fear dispelled, with the message of peace and with the message of forgiveness, they're going to go and they're going to take it to people. And if people accept it, they will find forgiveness. But if people reject it, there will be none. This is not a new work that the disciples are doing. It's not like, well, thank you, Jesus, for doing your work. Now I'm going to do my own little pioneer work. No, this is, thank you, Jesus, for doing that work. We're going to continue doing the same thing. So seeing is believing. That's my first point. Second point, not seeing is not believing. It's very simple today because I'm a very simple person. Not seeing is not believing. Look at with me at verse 24 to 25. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. So here we have Thomas brought into the story. Now, if you know about Tom, Thomas actually isn't talked about in many of the other uh, gospels. He's just sort of mentioned, but John seems to have a soft spot for Thomas. And if you know anything about Thomas, he's a bit of an Eeyore character. That's how I always describe Thomas. He's a bit of a, ooh. So do you remember uh, in, in John chapter 11 when Lazarus had died, he's like, oh, let's go and die with him. That's Thomas for you. Well, Thomas is that kind of person. You'll remember these people in school. They always ask the really stupid questions. Yeah? Oh, sir, I don't get it. And, and really, we were very thankful for the Thomas because we didn't get it either. Thank God for Thomas. Yeah? He asks the stupid questions. He's a bit of an Eeyore character. And it turns out that Thomas hasn't been at that scene. So actually, it's only 10 disciples that Jesus had appeared to in those, those first verses we looked at. And as, we're, as we put Thomas into the scene, Thomas is going to take the place of an unbeliever. He's taking the seat as an unbeliever. Do you remember Jesus has said, I'm going to send you. The disciples go, and they're going to go and tell people about Jesus. The first person they're going to talk to, Thomas. He's going to be the unbeliever. And you can imagine the scene, right? When the disciples, they've seen the Lord. They, you know, they've probably all, you know, gone around in arms and jumped around like, yes, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And then they're like, oh, Thomas isn't here. We need to go and tell Thomas. And so they're ecstatic with this news and like, oh, I can't wait to tell Thomas. And maybe, you know, like before, John and Peter racing to, uh, if you believe that they were racing, they're racing to Thomas to say, who can tell Thomas first? And they get to Thomas and they say, look, we have seen the Lord. And you think, well, Thomas, he's going to be, he's going to be ecstatic too, isn't he? No, <laughs> not, not apparently, because he's Eeyore. Oh, no. No, I don't believe it. <laughs> See, their testimony is not good enough for Thomas. Yeah, it's not good enough for them. Even though there's 10 people, 10 of his closest mates, he spent three and a half years or whatever it is, with these blokes, invested in their lives. He's probably heard that the women have been saying that they've seen the Lord, yet he will not believe. That is not good enough for him. You may have been in, in these situations at work. It's usually with an IT technician, I think. I don't know why. They're very single-minded. And you're thinking, okay, I've got a problem with my computer. And they're like, no, no. And you're like, no, no, there is an issue. No, that can't happen. No, there is a problem with my, I've tried to, no, that's impossible. I was like, come on. I, and, and what do you need? Okay, you come here, look. Oh, well, that shouldn't happen. That's what I said. They need to see it to believe it. They're ridiculous, these people. A blight on the planet. No. So Thomas refuses to believe. He's absolutely refusing to believe and because it does not fit in his worldview that dead people rise. Dead people do not rise from the dead. Jeez, we've seen the Lord. No. No, no, we've seen. It's more like, no, because he's Eeyore, isn't he? He's saying, I cannot believe this. If I'm going to believe this, 
I need all of my senses filled. I need to touch, did you see, his hands, where the, where the nail marks were. I need to put my hand, I need to see, I need to put my hand in his side. I need to hear his voice. I need to smell him. I need to, hear, I need to have my senses filled with the risen Lord Jesus. I will not believe on your testimony alone. And that's what people are like. You come, you tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I will not believe this. Dead people do not rise from the dead. People are even worse than Thomas, aren't they? And maybe you're, maybe you're here and you're not a believer I, and you haven't engaged with this, this evidence and you're saying, I will not believe. That's what Thomas is like. Not seeing is not believing for Thomas. Thirdly, Seeing is believing, or is it? Seeing is believing, or is it? I told you it was a simple sermon. I am a very simple human being. Look with me at verse 26 to 29. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, third time. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we we come to this scene. It's very similar to what we saw at the start, right? We get the disciples together. Again, they're behind locked doors. But what is different is that Thomas is present. And I, I don't know, maybe this was a, a scene of frustration because they're still trying, they've been trying to convince Thomas for a week that Jesus is alive and he's not having any of it. Or maybe this is a scene of expect, expectancy. Okay, he, he's not believing us. Let's just pray that Jesus comes back again. And sure enough, just like the first time, you'll see that Jesus appears and he's standing among them and he says the same greeting, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And then look at how he deals with Thomas. I don't know how you would deal with Thomas. You probably have an insight about how I would deal with Thomas because I called all IT technicians a blight on the planet. You, you get pretty annoyed, Thomas, you absolute wretch. My dad would probably call him a toe rag. That's a disgusting term. <laughs> you, I mean, these 10 people, I sent them to tell you and you didn't believe them. Why not? But Jesus isn't like that. He's like, because he, he actually understands us and he, and he loves us. And look how he deals with him in verse 27. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Okay, Thomas, you wanted the evidence. You wanted to touch. You wanted to feel. Go on then. Satisfy your senses and see that I am a resurrected Lord. And what does he say? Stop doubting and believe. And that is exactly what happens here. Peace be with you. Doubt turns to belief. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus says, look, touch. 
Put your hand in there. Go on, have a little, that's just like little feel around. Go on then. But actually, this scene doesn't record that he does it. He doesn't need to. He, he sees his saviour. He sees Jesus. He sees the marks on his hands and the, and, the, and, and the wound in his side. And that is enough for him. And so, peace be with you, there is belief. And look at what Thomas says. It's one of the most incredible sentences of this whole book. My Lord and my God. Wow. My Lord and my God. In other words, okay, I believe now. It's the IT technician. Oh, yeah, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. They see now. My Lord and my God. Look, mere men don't just rise from the dead. This can't just be an ordinary human being. This has to be God himself. Only God in the Old Testament is one who can defeat the grave. In Isaiah, it says he swallows up death. This has to be God himself. But it's not just that he is God, is it? It's my God. That is amazing there. My God. The wounds. The the statement, peace be with you. Pronounce that God is Thomas's God. My God. A relationship with God. The, the creator of the universe, I'm at peace with God now. No longer his enemy, he is my God, my Lord. It sounds a bit like Mar- uh, what Jesus says to Mary in verse 17, isn't it? Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. This is the hope of the Bible. That we can be friends with God, that we can know him as our God. And so... Seeing is believing, isn't it? He's seen and he believes. He's seen and he believes. But it's not the whole story, is it? So you'll see seeing is believing. Verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But then it goes on. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, there is, a, there is blessing, there is happiness for the one who doesn't see the physical Jesus and yet still believes. Now, I think it would be an error to uh, look at this and say Thomas is being told off here or that Thomas's belief is lesser than ours. Now, the two actually come together because it is essential and this is what I was trying to say at the start, is essential that the apostles and Thomas see the risen, physical Lord Jesus, that they see those wounds that paid the price for them, that they see the marks that make them right with God and and let them say, my God, because it shows us that this really happened. And it means that we, And the people that cannot see, we can't see Jesus physically now, can we? But as we look at the the words of scripture, people can see those wounds of grace. People can see that the Lord Jesus has risen. People can see the many blessings that are just in this little section that we've looked at. People can now hear his words, peace be with you. 
And we can, we can understand that and people can see that until they see him face to face. We sing a song. Oh, to see you, Jesus, I can hardly wait to behold those wounds of grace and to thank you face to face. So seeing is believing, or is it? Well, it's not the whole story. Because actually, as we read the words that the apostles record, we too believe until our eyes, until our faith is turned to sight. Fourthly then, do you believe? Do you believe? Look with me at verse 30 to 31. This, um, these two verses have been brought out time and time again as we've looked at John because this is the whole point of John. And they're just wonderful. They're just a wonderful couple of verses. Look at them with me. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. It's a great start to this, these two sentences that Jesus performed many other signs that are not recorded in this book. And then if you compare that with the last verse of the Bible, this is such a great verse, 21 verse 25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. How good is that? See, John could have given us so much more evidence than what he gives us in this book. He could have given us countless and numbers of times that Jesus did a sign that said, he is God. We, we actually, um, in Rooted, we've just finished a, a series looking at 24 hours of Jesus' life. And if you just examine one 24-hour period, it's like, and he healed this man, and he healed this person. He spent a whole night healing and, uh, and, uh, and preaching the word, and then he would uh, get rid of demons, and then he would go off somewhere else and get rid of more demons, and then he would feed 5,000 people, and then he would, get into a, and, and he would get into a storm, and he would calm the storm, and you just go time and time and time again. He does sign after sign after sign whilst he's here. John has three years of just seeing this. But even after that, what has he been doing for centuries later in the lives of people as he converts and converts and he converts and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is even more evidence than what we're confronted with here in John. So why has he chosen the ones he has? Well, look at verse 31. These are written that you may believe. These are written that you may believe. See, what is the point of this sermon? What is the point of this passage? What is the point of this book? It's not just a nice intellectual exercise. It's not just that we can have to tell some nice stories about Jesus turning water into wine. This is so that you may believe that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God's chosen king, that he is God's savior who comes to save us from our sins, that he is the very son of God. 
you may believe that. And, and as you believe on him, as you believe that he is who he says he is, that you may have life. Do you see that? By believing, you may have life in his name. It's amazing, actually. If you um, take those two themes of belief and life, I, don't, I guess you've all seen this as we've gone through John. They pop up time and time again. In fact, the first chapter of John, it says, in him was life. As you go on, I'm not even going to do more here. He talks to a Samaritan woman. He says, I have the water. It's the water of life. He then goes on. He says, I am the bread of life. He then goes to Lazarus and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he raises a dead man to life. Okay. John 14, I am the way, the truth. Oh, well, we're alive. And the life. Yes. And then that that theme of believing comes throughout all the time. And obviously we get the most famous verse that we probably all know is, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that by what? What do we have to do? Believe in him, shall not die, but have eternal life. Yes. And that is what is on offer here. By believing the evidence of the Lord Jesus Christ and him risen, we see that he is Messiah. We see that he is son of God. We see that by him we may have life. And so if you believe in him, that is what is on offer for you. So will you believe? That's why John's writing this. Will you believe? Will you believe? If you do, then you can know life, but not just life. Do you see all the blessings in this passage? No fear anymore, but joy. Knowing peace, knowing uh, doubt being replaced with, with belief, knowing blessing and happiness, knowing him as your Lord and your God, and knowing a purposeful mission in this world as you bring peace and forgiveness to other people. That's what's on offer here. That's what's on offer here. And so if you are a bit of a Thomas and you've never believed, then why not tonight? Look at his wounds. Look at his resurrection. And know the peace and the forgiveness and the joy and the life that is on offer here. Believe in him. Believe on him. And Christian, today you've been reminded of just how important the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is, hopefully. And I'm hopefully as you've looked at Jesus again, and as you've looked and you've seen his wounds, maybe it casts out doubt for you again. Maybe it reminds you that you don't need to be... Fear. You don't need to fear in this world, but you can have joy. There might be some of you here that have started to have fears about, does this person love me still? Or, or do I need to live for other people's approval? No, you don't. Get rid of that fear. Know that you have utter assurance and security in the Lord Jesus and that you can say, my Lord and my God. Once you get that in your head, once you get your eyes fixed on Jesus and you see his wounds and you see the peace that he has to offer, remember the privilege and the responsibility of taking this glorious message of forgiveness out 
to unbelievers. And as you go, pray that God will open their eyes to see Christ. As I finish, let me just read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have shown the Lord Jesus to be a resurrected Savior. We thank you that in his physical body, he still bears the wounds of the cross. But we thank you that by looking at that wo- those wounds, that we may know peace, that we may know joy, that we may know blessing, that we may call you my God. And so, Father, lift our eyes from this world, lift our eyes from the fears and the doubts of this world and put them on the Lord Jesus Christ where we have assurance and confidence. And we pray, Father, that we will be so overjoyed with the risen Lord Jesus that we will yearn to tell people of this glorious Savior. Father, we pray you open the eyes of unbelievers in this town, in this country, in this world, and let them see your wounds of grace so that one day we will stand with them side by side as we look to you face to face. We pray that you help us with these things now. In Jesus' name, amen.